Before we begin, just to let you guys know, our logo artwork was designed by Nicole Anarchy and music by Taylor Paisley French. Warning, this podcast does contain spoilers for the Verse series. Hello everyone and welcome to the Best Damn Camp, our inverse read-along and analysis podcast that sets out to read all the books by Rick Riordan in timeline order. I'm your host Fran and welcome to the show. Today we continue our timeline journey with The King Chronicles, The Red Pyramid, Chapter 11, We Meet the Human Flamethrower, and Chapter 12, A Jump Through the Hourglass, which is in Sadie's POV. As always, I've got my points to focus on, so today we've got magic systems, descriptions, and generally what I thought of it. But to begin, here's the synopsis. With Bass no longer helping them, the siblings are in major trouble. It's not helped that, while in the museum, they managed to bump into the girl who wanted to kill them back in London, and she's their only chance of survival. As they plan to escape, the, do- the goddess Sirket arrives, and only Zerashid can take her down. And yeah, that's the synopsis for these two chapters. And as you can tell, well, you can't tell yet, but my favourite character has just arrived, so I'm very, very excited. <laughs> um, um, but yeah, we're just going to get into it. Although I do want to remind everyone that if you would like to support the best damn camp, you can do so by heading over to patreon.com slash a healthy dose of Fran and go into the Patreon tier where you can get early access to all of these episodes as well as my other podcast, Entering Storybrook, and various other things like early access to my YouTube video theory and discussions. Um, so yeah, check me out there if you can um, because I can do with the support because again, I'm unemployed. And uh, I would like to make this podcast better for all of you. But moving away from that, let's get into the main thing here, which is starting first with chapter 11, we meet the human flamethrower. Um, Although admittedly, I will already say now, uh, don't know why it's called that because we don't see Zia's uh, magical abilities until the next chapter. So, you know, kind of confused, but you know, we'll go with it. Uh, So this is chapter 11, we meet the human flamethrower's overview. Sadie, reeling in emotional turmoil, is dragged into the museum by Carter, where, rather quickly, they find themselves lost. Soon the people inside begin fleeing, and the telltale signs of scorpions arrive. Desperate, the two keep running to find this temple. Unfortunately, they run right into the girl they saw in London, the one who wanted to kill them. And doubly unfortunate, they need her help to survive. Finding the temple, Sadie and Carter follow the girl, Zia's orders, and form a protection circle as they await the opening of the portal. Then, just as their shield is enacted, the scorpion goddess arrives. Thankfully for the siblings, for, for the siblings, Zia Rashid is a scribe of the House of Life, and she's trained to fight gods. And oh my god, okay, so that's actually a line 
kind of from the just slightly adapted so it would sound okay when I was reading it from the uh the ending of this chapter and oh my god see Rashid is such a badass that I'm 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 obsessed I uh, we stan queen love her want the best for her can't wait to see who's going to be playing her in the adaption as well uh which by the way I didn't do a casting for her but check out my King Chronicles casting video on my YouTube channel because that was a lot of fun Maybe I should do the kids as well. I can't really think of any child actors, but maybe I should look for them anyway. Anyway, moving into it. So yeah, my favourite character has been introduced in the form of Zia. Um, she's badass, she's amazing, she's beautiful, we stand, she is a queen. Um, and even Sadie can recognise this. Um, I'll get into that in, in a sec with the rest of this feedback. <laughs> um, in general, story-wise, I'm really glad that they've brought in another magician who is competent at magic. Um, admittedly she's not teaching them that much at the moment but um, the fact that we've brought someone who is around their age who is competent in their skill um, it's just it's really it's really exciting and admittedly we do learn a little bit from her in the fact that portals can only be opened at like important significant moments of like the day and night um, and uh, I thought that was really interesting, as well as the fact that these figurines that she's using to create a protection circle, are, like there are magical objects as well that can be used to fight. And I'll talk about that a little bit more when we get to the uh, magic system discussion. Um, the thing that I want to talk about with Sadie is that um, I have a new headcanon now, and that is um, bisexual Sadie Kane exists, and she has arrived right here as she describes Zia. Um, I want to bring this up just because I find it hilarious that she starts this chapter with how Carter can't narrate these chapters because this is where we meet Zia and he's not, he, like, he wouldn't be, he'd be unbiased, no, he'd be biased against, against it because he thinks she's pretty. And I'm like, Sadie, sweetie, I think you're pretty biased too because she immediately describes Zia's eyes as beautiful and terrifying. And she does it more than once, like seeing her up close, she says it again. And I, <laughs> oh, it's so gay. And so bisexual Sadie has entered the chat and we love that for her. Um, the only additional thing that I want to talk about actually um, is, oh God, isn't, yeah, no, it is in this bit. We have a further introduction of um, the conflict between the siblings of like, um, just how different they are. I was kind of annoyed with Sadie briefly in this, just because, like, taking things out on Carter that aren't fair whatsoever. So she says to Carter, like, no, do, do you not know what this temple looks like? In t like, or, or something like that, or how can you get lost? And he's like, well, everything looks different. Like, we've, I've been to so many museums that they all look the same. I, I, I don't even know what it is that we're looking for and all this sort of stuff. And Sadie makes this big thing about how, oh, boo-hoo having to travel the world with Dan, that's so horrible. And um, Carter responds with like, hey, at least you had a home, you had a family, you had a life, you had friends, like how can you be angry about that? And all these sort of things and like something explodes showing the power that they have. And why in a sense there's this hint of why they were kept apart from each other? But again, this seems to be more of a problem because their conflict is tied to the fact that they are in a sense both jealous of each other and the lives that they've both been able to lead um which obviously is going to cause more conflict which is going to cause more issues with their magic fighting against each other because you know Sadie 
I get it. I get it. It sucks that your dad could only come twice. Again, not his fault, not Carter's fault. But also, and this is a whole thing, like the whole grass is on, the, the grass is greener on the other side. She did have a home life. She actually, she had a home. She had a proper family. She has friends. She's able to have a life. Like, she even says, like, her big thing that she makes fun of Carter is that he's like a grown man in a child's body. And that's because not only, obviously, he is a young African-American boy who is having to struggle with, you know, discrimination and people assuming things based on his appearance. But alongside that, he doesn't even know what country he's in half the time, he says, when his dad and he are travelling. He doesn't have a life. Like, he lives as a professor, as a 14-year-old boy. Like, he's not had the chance to actually have a life where Sadie has. Um... And while in principle the idea of travelling around a lot is really cool, doing that all the time since, in Carter's case, since he was about eight years old, is it can be it can really mess someone up because you've not had the chance to actually have a life. Like he's got no experiences outside of things that an adult would have. Like his whole life has been going to archaeological dig sites and learning from his father. He's never had an actual normal life. And I think, like, Sadie's whole situation stems from her abandonment, which we get a bit more, um, like, diving in into this it, with how this chapter starts, because like, she goes on about how, like, she lost her father, she lost her home, like, her grandparents kicked her out, basically, how she found a new home with a Brooklyn house, and then almost immediately the family that she'd seemingly bonded with that one day with the um, Philip of Macedonia and... Oh god, I've already forgotten how to say his name. <laughs> the baboon. Um, oh no, I have I have forgotten his name. No, I've not forgotten his name. I can see how it's spelled, but I can't remember how it's said. <laughs> Begins with a K, um, with Amos and all these sort of things. They've gone almost instantly and now Bass, her cat, and the goddess that she's come to know, she's possibly lost her as well. Like everything is kind of crumbling beneath her. So I get that side as well of like her frustrations with Carter, but also in general, like, I get the fact that, like, this is a really emotional time. She has no idea what's going on and so much is happening all at once that it's hard for someone who, like, she's 12. Like, this is hard for anyone to deal with, but especially, like, a 12-year-old, that's going to be even harder. Um, and especially for someone who has these abandonment issues, like, it's going to be, like, a hundred times worse. Um, and so I kind of like that that's been explored alongside the conflict with the siblings, because even though they are siblings, they also kind of aren't. They don't know anything about each other. They don't know what kind of lives each other has lived. Carter has probably only seen it in total. So eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14. Uh, oh God, six times two. So he's seen her 12 times in the last six years. His full sister and vice versa for Sadie. They've only seen each other 12 times in the last six years. They're not even siblings anymore, so there's gonna be more conflict, and I like that we are still seeing that side of them. Um, and I'm intrigued to see whether we're gonna be getting more of that later. But to go into the next chapter, which is chapter 12, a jump through the hourglass. And um, this is the overview for chapter 12. Sir Ket is more terrifying close up than Sadie thought. Thankfully, the protection spell is working. As her scorpions retreat into Sir Ket's body, she transforms into a horrifying form. 
Zia fights back, setting the scorpion aflame, even if it only lasts a short while. With a giant scorpion tail looming overhead, Zia does what she told the canes not to. She leaves the safety of the spell as the portal begins to open. The two figures engage in compact, with Zia, surprisingly, getting the upper hand. Sadie herself almost gets involved until Carter pulls her back. Wrapping the goddess in the ribbons of Hathor, the goddess is forced out of her host of a normal woman. But just as the portal is about to close, the goddess begins to reform without a host. And before they can see what happens, all three dive into the portal's gate. Dun, dun, dun. This is very exciting. <laughs> um, so this chapter is more, so we get some more like magic system related elements, but the main thing of this is the Rashi being a badass. And I absolutely love it. And we just love to see it in general, just women kicking butt. Um, also, we get more hints of Sadie's magical knowledge uh, being sort of instinctual for how she reacts. Um, basically, like, she sees the way in which Zia is fighting and she can almost, she predicts exactly what Zia is going to do. In this case, it's going to be using the ribbons of Hathor to wrap up the goddess. And she says, oh, I don't think the ribbons are going to work without actually knowing the ribbons were a thing or that Zira is about to use them. So it gives like an interesting idea as to what kind of magic Sadie has. It seems to be somewhat more instinctual than anything else, but uh, hopefully we'll get a bit more explanation into what's gonna be happening next. Um, but yeah, just in general, this was a really high impact chapter of fights and anxiety of, okay, is Zia gonna be okay? Is she gonna get out of this? Like everyone so far that we've met has ended up worse for wear and half the time we don't even know what's happened to them. Like currently we don't even know what's happened to Bast, um, who was fighting this goddess and now she's gone. Like what, what's happened to her? Um, so this anxiety of like, oh God, what is gonna happen to this new character that's introduced who's helping this, the Canes? Um, thankfully she's okay because she's a badass. But um, just in general, the fight scenes in this and just the fear that you get from uh, uh, the goddess, I've forgotten her name. Yeah, <laughs> uh, Serket. Um, it's just, I know, it's just really fascinating. I just, I really like what we're getting here. But to go into the main direct points, uh, the magic system explanations that we're getting here. So I mentioned this a lot in the last episode, is that we're getting more, in a sense, rules for the magic system of how these things work, which, unlike Percy Jackson, we didn't really get that much. Um, well, we didn't get anything. We don't know how the rules work for like magic and skills and abilities for the demigods. But um, here we're getting a lot more. So uh, in relation to portals and things like that, and on my my assumption side, uh, possible the magic power as well, the, heightness, the height of power, um, all of these things come at certain powerful times. Um, it's called, uh, oh God, there's a specific phrase, uh, auspicious moments is what Zia called it. Uh, so things like noon, sunset, sunrise, but also the precise time that a god was born, um, astrological as alignments and all these sort of things. So basically anyone who's into like zodiac and astrology, um, you guys are probably magicians and I love that for you. 
Um, also, it seems like anyone who's an Egyptian magician needs to be like a zodiac astrology lover, uh, which is also very cool. Um, I need to get into learning a bit more about that now after reading about this for, for the King Chronicles to learn more because I don't know anything about this and I think it'd be interesting because a lot of people seem to be into it and it sounds cool. I would like to know where my moons are and my stars and all that sort of stuff because it'd be useful to know. Um, but yeah, I don't know, it's just, I just thought it was really interesting that we learned that the power of portals is tied to these auspicious moments. Because it also, it leaves our characters feeling more in danger because, you know, there's only a certain time that these things can be used. So we had this whole thing of like, hey, yeah, we gotta leave now, but like, we gotta wait for noon, which is in about 10 minutes. So, you know, we gotta put up as much of a fight as we can for about 10 minutes or be protected by, in this case, the, uh, what was it? She called it uh, the Sons of Horus, these sort of wax statues that created a protective circle around them um, uh, that were lined up with chalk. Um, so the, the chalk was drawn between the, the statues to create this protective circle. Um, so it adds this additional level of threat, like you can't travel immediately, like you can't get out of these situations easily. Um, I know, I just feel like magicians and the magic system for the King Chronicles, unlike demigods and just in general Percy Jackson-esque magic situations, in Percy Jackson it can sometimes feel a bit too overpowered in some areas because sometimes it's just like, ah, oh, we need to get out of this situation introduce magic element to help with this whereas in the king chronicles we do have these magical elements but there's a limit to them like they can't be used whenever they want um and i really like that i think that's really cool because it adds this level of threat behind it but also showing that magic can only go so far um i don't know i just i just think it's just a really really interesting world building element of of the way in which like Egyptian magicians work um but yeah <laughs> I'll move on now uh to the description side of of this section so the big highlight of these chapters is definitely in the description used here for both the introduction of Zia but also the close-up look of Serket uh Serket is the main one really because this this goddess is really really kind of terrifying because the description that is given for her is actually, it's some, it feels, so this is, this is definitely my horror writer coming out because I've read in a lot for Call of Cthulhu, which is horror um, stories and like the Cthulhu scenario, so H.P. Lovecraft, but minus the racism in his case, um, and like Cthulhu monsters, and I don't know, but Sir Ket could 100% be a Cthulhu-esque monster because she's described as like, bug-like. The main thing that makes me think Cthulhu is that her skin has this shell-like visible texture, like it gleams in the way that like the shells of insects looks and even when like she opens her mouth she has like, I don't think the correct term, I don't think I'm using the right term, but she has like pincers where her teeth are, so she has like teeth and pincers seemingly in her mouth, like that's horrifying. Um, and I just, ugh. also the additional description of the scorpions burrowing into her clothing and like into her 
and forming this giant scorpion tail afterwards. The way in which it's described, like, is spine tingling. I I wanted to read <laughs> a section of this, but firstly, I don't have my book with me. But secondly, also, I I want you guys to read this book because reading it for yourself for the first time adds this other layer of kind of like fear I think would be the way to describe it because this is like this is a real monster and this is something we don't really see in and I keep bringing up Percy Jackson this is something we don't really see in Percy Jackson gods that are terrifying now we've had moments of like Hades being compared to looking like Hitler and all that bollocks um but this is a goddess that is like visibly horrifying like looks like a bug like a human bug sort of visual has her animals that she like reigns over basically becoming one with her body like it's very it's very cthulhu it's very cthulhu and this is why i really want rick to write a horror story because i could see him doing really well with horror but obviously he's got a specific audience now although you could like goosebumps is like horror for kids I don't know, I could see him writing a really good horror story. Um, Rick, if you're ever listening, please do write a horror story. I would love to read it. Um, but yeah, just seeing things like this and when reading things like this, I mean, um, it's what just shows to me, like, the level of ability of Rick, like, Rick's writing there. It's like, he has some incredible strengths in his writing, with specifically his descriptions of, like, terrifying creatures, but also introductions to other characters. Um, there are definitely some things with like Zia's introduction where I'm just like what are Arab like features is like the one thing that came to my mind when Sadie says like uh, describes like she's quite quite tanned skin like she's got coal over her eyes sort of like Egyptians she has like Arab like features is basically what it's describing I'm just the whole time I was just like what are Arab like features like I can't think of what that means you know but um, I'll move past it but he has these great moments with it, especially like the like I was saying, he does it well with Percy Jackson as well. But the fight scene descriptions for Zia's attack on Sir Ket, I think is even easier and more interesting to read in this than quite a few of the fight scenes that we have in Percy Jackson, which was a big thing that I did praise Percy Jackson. But I feel like it's done a lot better here. And this is like merely just one fight scene. Um, Although we've had quite a few fight scenes, obviously, in King Chronicles, but this is a really good one. Like, you can picture exactly what's happening. You can, see, even if we don't fully understand the magical elements, it's described in a way that we can understand what is happening with, with the use of magic from Zia. Um, I don't know, I just, I just really appreciate that. And, uh, yeah, we, we just keep learning more about this magic system. We've gotten a new introduction of a character who has more information to provide on how magic works. And is someone around the same age as our characters, which means that we're going to have less of the mentor figure. I enjoy the mentor figures, but I also like where, sort of like how Ron Weasley was that for Harry and Hermione in some ways in, in Harry Potter. And Annabeth was to Percy and things like that. Like I like that there's always someone in the group who has more information because they've been invested in the world a lot more than the new, like the the audience insert character um and I'm glad it's like I'm glad it's Zia because Zia's amazing and I can't wait to <laughs> read more about her um so yeah the magic system 
flawless, amazing, we love her. Um, the description's incredible, amazing, we love it. Um, so <laughs> I'm just going to finish this uh, episode here to go into the question of the episode, which of course is what you're all waiting for. So this week's question of the episode is, did you enjoy the introduction to Zia Rashid? And that's basically it, because I just want to know your thoughts on Zia. <laughs> Uh, that'll be going up on our social media, so be sure to go check that out the day after this episode is out. So that's Thursdays for everyone listening, and uh, well, it's already out if you're listening to this later than everyone else. <laughs> um, but yeah, but as always, thank you all for joining me for these chapters. Be sure to join me next Wednesday as we continue our Rawnverse journey. To plug where you can find our podcast, we are available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Audio Boom, Stitcher, Deezer, and basically wherever you listen to podcasts. In the meantime, between episodes, you can find the Best Time Camp on various social media and Best Time Camp Pod on Instagram and Twitter. If you want to email me with your thoughts, you can email thebestdamncamp at hotmail.com or if you want to support this podcast being better than ever before, you can become a podcast patron over at patreon.com slash a healthy dose of fran, which is linked in the episode show notes for early access and other exclusive and other exclusive perks like access to my other podcast. Want more Percy Jackson content? Check me out on YouTube at a healthy dose of fran and as my debut novel is coming out in 2022 and you want to if you want to support me with my own writing, you can drop me a follow at a dose of front on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. Again, thank you guys for tuning in. As always, I've been Fran, your very own hunter. Now, see, shall I speak to you guys next time? I love you, Zia. <laughs>